Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 600. Drink wine, sporty, drink wine. to me. We're not really drinking wine here to celebrate, just some coffee. But here's a, maybe a revelation for wine lovers. Turns out, according to newly uncovered evidence, that organically grown wine tastes better than non-organically grown wine. And that organically grown wine provides benefits to birds and other creatures. UCLA's Institute of the Environment and Sustainability evaluated thousands of California wines and found that wine made from organic grapes, on average, scored four points higher on a 100-point scale than wine made from conventionally grown grapes. That's not a big difference, obviously, but the point is it shows that organically grown wine tastes at least as good or a bit better than the other kind made with pesticides and herbicides and fertilizer. One of the California farms, Dark Horse Vineyard, is described as teeming with life as bursts of poppy, lavender, and sage help reduce soil pathogens and weeds and nematodes that attack the roots of the vines. The bird part, on that farm, there are bluebirds feasting on leafhoppers and owls preying on gophers, while other winged creatures, namely bats, eat mosquitoes. Organically grown wine, good tasting and good for birds. And by the way, we'll have more about bluebirds in just a minute here. Meanwhile, we'd like to say thanks to our newest Talkin' Birds ambassadors, including Kevin in Roseburg, Oregon, Linda in Brookings, Oregon, Devin in Dothan, Alabama, Kelly in Boston, Massachusetts, and Marianne in West Sayville, New York. Thank you so much, Kevin, Devin, Kelly, Linda, and Marianne. And we heard from our friend Bill in Rhode Island, who's visiting public libraries in his area and distributing info about our show at those locations. Thank you, Bill, for that great idea and effort. If you're not a Talking Birds ambassador, would you like to become one? How about you, Tim? Tim is uh, giving me a, a nod. That's a, like a, at least a qualified yes there. Well, it's pretty easy to become an ambassador. We send you some cards and you hand them out to your friends. That's about it. If you'd like to help spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation, please visit our website, TalkinBirds.com, no G in Talkin', and click on the Contact button. And then choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option via the Contact button at TalkinBirds.com. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Canada has finally chosen a national bird. And no, it's not the Canada Goose. A caged parrot exposes an apparent affair, repeating flirty chats between husband and maid. 
And you've heard of owl pellets? Well, researchers have made a discovery that reveals regurgitation from 120 million years ago. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Don't forget, you can probably find those stories through an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. On our blog today, happy 45th birthday to International Bird Rescue. Folks who helped clean up and rehabilitate wildlife after the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska and the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, along with more than 200 other oil spills and environmental disasters all around the world. That's on this week's blog, written by our Debbie Bleacher and easily found at TalkinBirds.com. Coming up next, how to win a pair of high-quality binoculars from the folks at eBird and a Christmas bird count for kids in Canada, among the topics tackled by our own Charlotte Wasilik in her Charlotte's weblog update from up there in Alberta, Canada. Her report is made possible by L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors, llbean.com. Alberta Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. The Bird Studies Canada headquarters in Port Rowan, Ontario is holding their 7th annual Christmas Bird Count for Kids on Saturday, December 3rd from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. This is a great event for young birders and their families and you are bound to see lots of great winter birds. Register by emailing education at birdscanada.org. There is still time this month to qualify for the November eBirder of the Month contest. The eBirder of the Month will be drawn from birders who submit 15 or more eligible checklists with at least one photo or audio recording. The prize is a pair of Zeiss binoculars and you can learn more about the contest at eBird.org. It might be the middle of November, but thanks to the above average temperatures, there are still lingering Canada geese in my area, though on a more wintry note, I saw a snowy owl last week. There also seem to be numerous red and white-breasted nuthatches around and rough-legged hawks, too. That's all for this week, Ray. A very happy Thanksgiving weekend to all, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. We'll look for you online on your blog there at prairiebirder.com. Prairiebirder.com. Charlotte also let us know she's been observing a flock of bohemian waxwings in her neighbor's crab apple tree. Nice. Well, when we were up in Michigan's eastern upper peninsula back in September, we found some beautiful birds in a beautiful book, a book of photos of many of those birds. The book is titled Beautiful Birds of Michigan's Eastern Upper Peninsula. It's by Paul Rossi, and we hope you'll check it out. This would make a beautiful gift for sure. It really is one of the most beautiful bird photography books you're likely to see anywhere. Easy way to find it. Just do an online search for Paul Rossi Birds. Rossi is R-O-S-S-I, Paul Rossi, birds. Here's a conservation quote of the week. Our friend Chuck up in Minnesota has reminded us of a quote we aired some time ago, but that's certainly worth repeating, and it kind of sums up our philosophy around here. It's from Henry David Thoreau, who said, What is the use of a house if you haven't got a tolerable planet to put it on? Still to come on our show today, we will talk turkey, literally so, with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. Also this morning, we'll revisit a chat with optics expert John Riuda, who will offer some excellent advice on choosing binoculars and scopes for looking at birds or 
just about anything else you'd like to see up close. And up next, a bird of uncommon beauty is today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Somewhere over the rainbow Bluebirds fly The bluebird is well-named for he wears a coat of the purest, richest, and most gorgeous blue on back, wings, and tail. No North American bird better deserves the name, for no other flashes before our admiring eyes so much brilliant blue. It has been said that he carries on his back the blue of heaven, and on his breast the rich brown of freshly turned earth. But who has ever seen the bluest sky as blue as the bluebird's back? Those are the words of the great American ornithologist Arthur Cleveland Bent, writing about the eastern bluebird in his 21-volume work, Life Histories of American Birds, which he began writing in 1919. Early American settlers called the eastern bluebird the blue robin because it reminded them of their English robin redbreast. The eastern bluebird is actually a member of the thrush family, which includes species like the wood, hermit, and Swainson's thrushes, the veery, and the American robin, which gets the robin part of its name from that same red-breasted English bird. Eastern bluebirds are medium-distance migrants, often moving only as far south as needed in the fall to find food and shelter. They're found over much of eastern North America, with many spending the winter as far north as New England, though some travel as far north as Manitoba to the American Southwest and Mexico for the cold winter months. We can thank human beings for bringing the eastern bluebird back from the brink of extinction by creating trails with carefully designed and placed bluebird boxes. Of course, it was human beings whose behavior helped cause the birds near extinction in the first place by importing European starlings and house sparrows to our continent. Those interloper birds quickly outcompeted the bluebirds for nesting cavities. Eastern bluebirds eat mostly insects, wild fruits, and berries, though amazingly enough, they've also been observed catching shrews, salamanders, tree frogs, and even snakes and lizards. Carrying on his back the blue of heaven, and on his breast the rich brown of freshly turned earth, it's today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Cyalia Cyalis, the eastern bluebird.
John Ryuda, a.k.a. the Well-Read Naturalist. More about that in a bit. Is sports optics product manager for Celestron, makers of scopes and binoculars for lots of purposes, including birding and bird watching. And John joins us on the line right now. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. Great to have you with us. That is quite a radio voice you've got there, by the way. Well, thank you very much. I've always been told I've got a face for radio. <laughs> a lot of us have that. So, John, that's something's pretty confusing for people who maybe haven't bought scopes and binocs before, and or even if they haven't or haven't done it for a while. Give us some general advice, if you could, to kind of cut through the confusion of what people should look for, what should they spend, what do they get for their money? Well, you don't have to spend a lot to get some very good performing optics these days. Years ago, that was the case, but today, not at all. And the biggest thing people need to remember is that magnification doesn't give you always the best image. Hmm. Many people over-magnify, they use more than they need, or in some cases, they use more than he can physically hold. So generally for bird watching, I like to recommend right in the six to nine power eight is good seven if you can find them celestron offers a couple of sevens we offer a lot of eights uh eight generally will do the job you combine it with a 40 42 millimeter objective you know a very good all-around birding binocular okay so a 10 power for example might get a little shaky to to hold on to or to keep steady 10 could get a little bit shaky for long distance and open country if you've got low humidity, dry conditions, 10, 10 will do the job. Also, uh, Coast Watch 10 can be very helpful uh, because your field of view is triangular. And so the further you get away, the, the more that you'll actually be able to get inside the field of view. But generally for most birding situations, you're going to be fairly close up. And so you want that lower magnification to really open up that field of view and also open up the aperture, giving you better light, sharper images, more color, just a more all-around satisfying experience. Hmm. Okay. We hear a lot of uh, terminology that might be a little confusing. Here's one. Exit pupil. That would be a student who stands near the door for a quick getaway when class ends. (laughs) Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, The exit pupil is a calculation. Uh, And this is why I talked about the lower magnification. Say you have, let's let's use some easy numbers just to keep the math simple so nobody's reaching for a calculator. Say that you have a 40 millimeter objective, a, a standard full-size binocular. And say you do use a 10 magnification. The exit pupil is the little circle of light on the eyepiece that you're actually looking through to get the image. And the size is determined by dividing the objective diameter, which is in millimeters, so that would be 40, by 10, the magnification. And so you get four. So you're looking through a four millimeter aperture. Now say you increase that uh, to uh, a larger exit pupil. Well, the only way to do that is to divide that objective by a lower number. So if you divided 40 by eight, you would get a larger diameter aperture than if you divided 40 by 10. Mm -hmm. That's the reason for the lower. You're basically giving yourself a larger window to look through. Okay, and then there's eye relief, which you have pointed out doesn't mean good sunglasses, right? (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, Eye relief is how much space you have behind the binocular to comfortably position your head so that you have a full 
view of the image given by the binocular. Now, eye relief is also generally measured in millimeters. If you wear eyeglasses and you use them with your binoculars, you're really going to want at least 15 millimeters of eye relief. If you don't wear eyeglasses, you can get away with a little bit less. But generally, you're looking for more than 15. Some binoculars go easily up to 20 millimeters. And generally, the larger the eye relief, so the longer the distance, means the more space you have. And you have to think of it in three dimensions. So it's like a, an invisible imaginary box in which you can position your head behind the binocular and still get a good, comfortable, satisfying view. John, you were talking about the you know binoculars of old before coated lenses uh, started coming in. Give us a quick overview of what that's about. It sounds like you wouldn't want coating on your lenses, but that's not the case. Well, lens coatings can do a variety of things. Uh, early on, it was simply glass, and, and you got the best image based on the quality of glass. Now, of course, you still want good glass, but the, the lens coatings can help very much. For instance, multi-coating. Multi-coating helps to manage the light as it transits the lens. Every time, remember your physics class, every time light goes through one side of a lens and come out, comes out the other, it's a little bit different. You're going to lose a little bit. The colors could get a little changed. Uh, so you want to put a coating on those lenses that helps to manage that, to keep all those little rays going in the same direction. The same with the prisms, with roof prism binoculars. The advent of phase coating, which keeps everything... Think about it being phase is sharp. So if you keep everything in phase, everything's going to be sharp, crisp, and bright. If it goes out of phase, it'll be a little bit muddy, a little bit soft. And so those coatings can really help your image. It's always important to pay attention to what coatings are offered by a binocular. Mm -hmm. I have to make a, a comment, though. When using poro prism binoculars, poros are a much simpler optical system, and so they don't really benefit or need the complex coatings that roof prisms need but also greatly benefit from. Hmm. Okay. Well, John, we're running out of time here. Give us, if you could, give us a 30-second recap on just the basic things people should look for. Well, always make sure that the binocular that you choose is the binocular that's most comfortable for you. And that means that it should be a lower magnification, should be a full size if you're going to be using it in the field, so that means 40 to 42 a lot of people are opting for 30 to 32s, which are great. They're a little more compact, a little bit lighter in weight, if that's important. Um, the other thing is make sure they're comfortable to hold. Many people are buying a binocular just because everybody else is buying it, but maybe it's not the right size for their hands. So make sure that you get your hands around the binocular and see that it balances well, that it feels good, that you can reach all the controls. In the end, the right binocular for you is really the right binocular for you, and you're the only one that can truly determine that. All right. John Riuta is Sports Optics Product Manager for Celestron. He's also the Well-Read Naturalist. You can read about him at wellreadnaturalist.com, and we'll talk with John again about that topic. But, John, thanks so much for that good advice. It's been a pleasure, Ray. Thank you very much. Up next is our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. 
The holidays are coming, and so is the cold weather. You're busy, but don't forget about the birds. They need the best food they can get, and Audubon Park Wild Bird Food provides the nutrition birds need to survive and thrive. Make time to feed your backyard birds this month with every bird's favorite food from Audubon Park, a family-owned business that appreciates yours. And be sure to check them out on Facebook for great bird food giveaways. Audubon Park Wild Bird Food, proudly made in the USA. Hi, it's Ray with your invitation to join us in the Galapagos Islands with Sunrise Birding. I'll be your host, joined by expert local guides who'll show us giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and incredible birds, including Darwin's famous finches. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. And there are now just two cabins still available. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. What you're hearing there is our mystery bird, and this is our mystery bird contest. We invite you to call in and urge you to do it quickly at 781-837-4900. Identify that bird and win our prize today, the Droll Yankees Window Mount Songbird Feeder with the unique songbird and blueberries design and a sturdy clear seed dish that holds two cups of seed or fruit or mealworms. 781-837-4900 is the number. I hope you heard the bird. Here are some clues. It's a small songbird of the west and southwest with a pale gray back, a faintly striped throat, a long barred tail, and a long thin bill. Our bird feeds on insects found on rocks and in spider webs and often leaps from the ground to capture flying insects. What do you think it is? If you know, by all means, tell us. And if you don't know, take a guess, because the drawing will determine our winner if nobody gets the right answer. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile, we'll talk turkey with Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live after what we think is a pretty important message here. Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Happy holidays! Here's some hot holiday news from our friends at Birds and Beans, purveyors of certified shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. It's the New England Christmas Box. Each artisan-crafted box is made of sustainable pine and cedar from the state of Maine. Inside the box, a two-pound bag of delicious Birds and Beans coffee in your choice of roasts, including decaf, and three 10-ounce jars of Vermont-based Blake Hill Preserves, blueberry, strawberry, and raspberry, lovingly handmade from local sustainably grown whole fruits and no artificial ingredients. By the way, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of Birds and Beans coffee helps support the educational and conservational efforts of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And that's just one of the reasons we love Birds and Beans Coffee here at Talking Birds. Get your New England Christmas box from Birds and Beans now for the holidays. Find it at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Well, some of us are a little bummed out today because we missed yesterday's free hat full of potatoes day down at the Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. Here to tell us what we missed and to shatter some myths about turkeys as we approach Thanksgiving Day is the Grand Gobbler of the Birdwatcher's General Store, Mike O'Connor. Good morning, Mike. The Grand Gobbler here. <laughs> so is it true that you gave away two tons of potatoes yesterday? No, maybe even more than that. Yeah, really? we did. It was an awesome day. Every year, uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we have this weird tradition where People come by and, some, and and then have a hat. For some reason, we have to, they have to have a hat. <laughs> have a hat. And then, and, then, and then we'll fill it up with uh, as many potatoes, 
not mashed potatoes, but raw potatoes mm-hmm. as it was would hold, as it does hold. And yesterday, I think we did between six and 700 hats came by. Wow. Various ages from like uh, two months old to maybe a hundred years old, <laughs> and and the, the 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 reason is because when people get filled up with uh, potatoes, yep. they they maybe stop eating turkeys. Ah. Ah. Last year, forty six million of my friends, the turkeys were eaten on Thanksgiving, Yikes. so we decided to, to, wow. to take a stand. Yeah, and um, and if, if we've been doing this for over twenty years, and when you think about it, twenty years ago. Nobody saw turkeys walking around the streets or the neighborhood, but today <laughs> turkeys are everywhere, so yeah. you're welcome. All right, they're out there. So, Hatful of Potatoes, is it on the same day every year? Because we want to put this on the calendar for next put year. Put on the calendar. It's yeah. always a Saturday before Thanksgiving. Saturday before Thanksgiving. Free Hatful of Potatoes Day uh, down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. What's the most unusual hat you had there, would you say? Um, I would say we get, we get a lot of helmets, we get bike yeah. helmets. Yeah. Um, we we get football helmets. We get construction workers helmets, firefighters <laughs> hats, and then there's always these you know these greedy people that get like stocking caps that hold like seventy five pounds of potatoes. <laughs> oh yeah, but we sell them. We fill every one of them. How about turkeys now? Uh, some myths about turkeys. There's a lot of myths out there. I think right. There is a lot of myths about turkeys. I think one of them. A lot of people. I mean, we're talking wild turkeys here. Think they're stupid, but they're actually pretty smart. They're very mm-hmm. agile. They can run 25 miles an hour. They can fly at 55 miles yeah. an hour. In short bursts, they don't go long distances, but they totally can fly. They can even swim. Um, the idea that uh, turkeys read on Thanksgiving is. Uh, you know, the original Thanksgiving, the zero proof to indicate that, that kind of mm. probably started more in the 1800s. Mm. Um, let's see, Benjamin Franklin, everybody says Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey as a natural bird. Uh, not really true at all. He was a little bit after the fact, a few years after the fact, he sent a letter to his daughter saying, eh, I wish they hadn't <laughs> picked the bald eagle. I'm not in love with that one, but uh, maybe a turkey would have been better, but he never advocated for it and was just putting that out there. In a, in, a, in a letter to his daughter, which is was read later, you know, I guess today's version of looking at somebody's email that they wrote <laughs> after they had sent it. Uh, um, he just was kind of down on bald eagles, really, right? He, he didn't think much of the bald eagle no, at all. No, he was so a little bit down yeah. on the bald eagle, he thought. Yeah. But that wasn't at the time. It was like years later reminiscing. Of, eh, okay, you know, yeah. It's kind of a crummy bird. It steals from other birds. It um, eats carrion. It's not really as noble as we're trying to make it out to be. I think the, na- the name Turkey really comes from the country Turkey, which I thought that's kind of funny. <laughs> the Europeans would import things from the Ottoman Empire through, through, from the Turks, and a lot of the birds came from Africa, like uh, guinea fowl, and so they would import those. And then when the colonists got here, they said, hey, look at that. looks like the turkeys, the guinea fowl that we get, so they called them turkeys. Wow. That is oh, uh, that's it. I Mike, think we're th- done for that. Thanks that for telling us the <laughs> truth about turkeys. Anyway, do we know what we're talking about next week yet? Or are we uh, next we- week? We'll, uh, yeah, I got a, a special tip on uh, my own personal way of uh, finding birds in the wild. That's, that's the secret. Oh, personal secret stuff. <laughs> All right, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. Oh yeah, save the birds. Okay, see you later, Ray. All right, Bye-bye. we're back to the mystery bird contest now. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number to call. Seven eight one. 837-4900. The beautiful Droll Yankees window mount songbird feeder with the unique songbird and blueberries design and a sturdy clear seed dish that holds two cups of seed, fruit, or mealworms is our prize. What is our mystery bird? Well, here's the sound of the bird. It's a bird of many sounds.
very creative voicer. Our mystery bird is a small songbird of the west and southwest with a pale gray back, a faintly striped throat, a long barred tail, and a long thin bill. Our bird feeds on insects found on rocks and in spider webs and often leaps from the ground to capture flying insects. What is it? What is our mystery bird? Tell us or take your guess. No correct answer determines our winner in a drawing. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. We have Jeff in Alston, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, good morning. Good morning. What's uh, what's uh, what's going on in Alston, uh, Jeff? Nothing at the moment. All right. I well, take a guess. All right. Take a guess then. Is it the Greater Roadrunner? Greater Roadrunner. Let me check the envelope here. Not the Greater Roadrunner. Okay, we'll try next week. Thank you, Jeff. All right, not the Greater Roadrunner. 781-837-4900. That is a bird of the Southwest, but uh, it's not this particular bird that we're trying to identify here. We're almost out of time, and we're going to try to squeeze in one call before we go. 781-837-4900. We have a special program with our friend Jerry Barrier next week, talking about... Uh, these amazing new trails for the handicapped that he is uh, helping to develop with Mass Audubon and that is spreading across the country. We'll find out about that next week. I don't know, Tim, can we have we have time to get this call? I guess we don't. Guess what? We are just playing out of time, so we won't get to that call. We will identify the bird, though. We'll remember this time. It's the rock wren. The rock wren, our mystery bird. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield, our associate producer, Debbie Bleacher, our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. Happy Thanksgiving and see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.